Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Hannah Safely, a young woman with decades worth of life experience, tough life experience called cancer. Her attitude, resiliency, and optimism are like a force of nature. She is wise beyond her years and wants to help others and make a difference in our world. Let's meet this amazing Hannah Safely. Hannah Safely, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you join us because you are, uh, I'm going to say a bundle of energy. I think you're even greater than a bundle. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this huge air balloon of energy, which is so amazing. I say that about you from having found a picture of you. I think it dates back a few years. It was on Facebook and you were part of a nurse camp experience. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, That was quite a few years ago. I, but it was the multi-care nurse camp at Tacoma General in Marybridge in Tacoma, Washington. And I was there one year as a camper, and so I spent a week learning about nursing, and I was able to even follow around some nurses. But then the following year, I wanted to volunteer for it, and so I was also a volunteer um, for that camp, just because it's so great. So to put that into perspective, you were there at the camp, but what led you to being there? You it was a few years before that you had a very serious health condition, right? Yes. Um, in 2014, specifically January of 2014, I was diagnosed with a childhood cancer called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so that that's the beginning of my journey. And how old were you at that time? I was 13 years old. I was exactly a month being 13 because it was the 23rd of January. My birthday is December 23rd. Oh, so here you are just entering teen years and you get, right? And someone hands you this diagnosis. Actually, before you get the diagnosis, what was going on in your life that you had to even get the diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, I had started out that school year going into seventh grade and everything was great. My health was great. Um, I was really excited to start junior high finally from like going from elementary school to junior high you know it's just such an important year and time in development and I had done volleyball that year I was on like C team because it wasn't amazing but um volleyball went great um in that first couple of months and then I decided to do basketball as well and that's kind of when I started noticing just some funky stuff um Basketball practice was always in the morning time, and so I would have to get to school really early, and I just found myself very lethargic and tired. I'd have to take breaks from practicing with my other teammates, and my coach even had me would sit some out because he said I would look green and, like, gray, and I just didn't look good. And I was just wondering what was going on. But then I'd go into homeroom, you know, a couple hours later, and I'd ask my friends who were on the team, like, oh, my gosh, are you just so exhausted from that practice? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm so exhausted. Like, it's so tiring. But what I didn't realize is that my exhaustion was on a much bigger level. But I was in, like, November, December, things were – there was just some odd things. Like, if I went running, I would get really tired. But other than that, everything was pretty normal. And 
it was like in December-ish, around my birthday, that I started getting some flus, and I just was having a sickness over sickness, um, just constantly, and we even called a nurse just to check out, like, hey, we were just giving, like, my symptoms, like, if I was in a hot shower, I would get really dizzy, and my head would also, would feel funky, and we relayed all of this to my nurse, and she had kind of said, well, you know, maybe she's out of shape, maybe she's dehydrated, but I'm not too worried about it, just, you know, get her moving and get her some water and make sure she drinks enough in a day, and so we took it out as it is, and my mom and I just, you know, I was drinking water, and I was trying my best to do as much physical activity as I could because I, I also thought I was out of shape and I thought that was the reason why I was tired of basketball practice. And then it was like January and my uncle and my aunt had come into town and when they saw me, they noticed the drastic weight change from the last time they had saw me, which is probably six, nine months ago. And because it was over such a long period of time, I didn't notice the weight loss and neither did my mom. And so when my uncle saw me, it was like, oh, she doesn't look very good. To my mom, Kelly, it was like, I don't know if you should go see a doctor or something. But again, we had called the nurse two weeks prior, and we thought it was dehydration. And then two weeks later, I got really sick at my in my homeroom at my junior high, and I had an appointment scheduled in two weeks to get checked out by my um, family doctor but after I got sick at school my mom called the doctor that day we went in to get blood work and just talk to someone that day later that afternoon and that night at around 10 p.m. my mom gets a call from the lab saying that your daughter is very anemic she needs a blood transfusion get her to Marybridge emergency room as soon as possible and I was woken up to that news and we dropped my sister off at my uncle's house and my mom and I drove to Marybridge to the ER and did some blood work and what I didn't know being on the patient's side when I was inside of my hospital room they were having conversations with the doctor outside and after seeing my blood work and everything the doctor said well she either has a plastic anemia or she has leukemia and we're hoping that she has leukemia because it's easier to treat and the next morning I had a bone marrow biopsy which confirmed the diagnosis and it was acute lymphoblastic leukemia and I started treatment that day. So just to clarify he said the leukemia was easier to treat than the anemia? Yeah aplastic anemia specifically I believe it's an autoimmune disease that could be completely wrong but um yeah, the kind of leukemia that I had was is is um, one of the most treatable childhood cancers that there is, and I was diagnosed at a fairly early time because it grows fast but also kind of slow, um, which is very confusing. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were hoping that it was leukemia because they they had an exact plan that they were going to do and a treatment plan that has been proven to work. And did you know this diagnosis at that time? I found out the next morning, which was the 23rd. Um, they had the oncologist come into my room, and they, and he, he told me that I had leukemia. And so as a 13-year-old, did you understand what that meant? And how, how did you feel about that? I 
didn't. I don't think I... I don't believe it was denial. I think I understood it to, like, a certain degree, but I remember the moment perfectly. My doctor had come in, and he said, you have leukemia, and I replied, well, isn't that, like, cancer? And he was like, no, Hannah, it is cancer. Mm. And so that I... But I don't know when it truly kicked in that, or if I was just having such a positive mentality, but like my friends came to visit that day because obviously they heard the news and they don't remember me being any less of who I am, who I was that day. And I was like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm going to lose my hair. Like, this is going to be crazy. Was your mother with you at the time that the doctor came in with the diagnosis? Um, yeah, actually my mom and dad had already been told the diagnosis by the doctors Uh and they had requested that the doctor tell me. So yeah, they, yeah. And that's when the doctor came and he was actually my main oncologist for the next three, four years. Um, Dr. Irwin at Marybridge. Three to four years. Was that, we're talking, this was eight years ago because eight, eight years ago. Right. Okay. Six years. He was my doctor for six years, which I guess that that, that, that time was pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, diagnosed in January, um, and I started treatment that day, chemotherapy, through an IV that I had. Later on, I would get a porticast, which is a line in your chest that's just underneath your skin that has the ability to get access by a needle so that I can get chemotherapy through that site. And so I got a port, I was getting chemo, and the plan was for the first month, I would get intense chemo. It's called induction, which is usually like the first month of cancer treatment, at least for leukemia patients. And it was intense chemo like multiple times a day, um, every week. And then after the induction period, they test my bone marrow to see where my leukemia was. And actually, I went into remission that first month, but... Because of the type of leukemia, ALL, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia, um, it's a standard two years of treatment, give or take, just to get it all away. Because even if it looks fine in the first month, those cancer cells hide very easily. So I started weekly chemo for about the next eight months, and things went as well as could be. I often got very rare side effects. From my chemos, they would give me like a list of side effects. I said, okay, these are the most common. These are oh, fairly less common than these are rare. And I'd always get the ones on the rare list for some reason. But my doctor and I would always joke about that. And then I started maintenance in about in October of 2014, which means I would get monthly chemo. And that continued up until May of 2016. So I had a total amount of treatment for about two and a half years. And during that period, were you not going to school some of the time? Or what was your life like? What was it like? um, Well, of course, the first month I was practically in the hospital that entire time. We had to tell my school and they were able to kind of hold my grades where they were, which was very great. They were very accommodating for me. And when I was having weekly chemo, which was the rest of the school year, they just kind of told me, you know, don't worry about your grades. Don't worry about school. You're going to pass the seventh grade no matter what. And so thankfully, I was already in honors classes. And so I think that also helped their decision in letting me pass seventh grade. 
But I, yeah, when I was doing weekly chemo, I didn't go to school except for some days I would go if I was feeling good. My immune system was okay. I'd go for like a few periods just to visit and socialize, less for the homework and doing actual schoolwork. But I started back up school right in eighth grade the next year. And I was going to school full time after that once I was doing monthly chemo. Now just when I had that chemo day, I would be out for a day or two while recovering, and then I'd go back to school. And that's how it was like for eighth grade and ninth grade. And the fact that you weren't in class very much during seventh grade, did you find it impacted you at all when you went into eighth grade? Oh, absolutely. I There had been friendships that were made that I didn't even know had happened. I felt very... I felt very different from the rest of my classmates because I had just gone through a very maturing moment in my life. Like I had to grow up faster than any other 13 year old should grow up and how any 13 year old that I was friends with had grown up. So I felt not not in this, not in malice, like a horrible way, but I felt much more mature than the rest of my classmates. Um, You know, they were worried and, caring about oh my gosh this boy looked at me or oh this girl looked at me like like that and they were focusing on just these little issues that wouldn't even matter the next week while I was being thankful every day that I was alive and that I was able to go to school that I was able to spend time with my family and it just made me notice how to be more appreciative of and grateful for what I have when I was seeing everyone else not everyone else, but uh, the majority of everyone else, just getting caught up in the small things. I can totally appreciate that. You're facing death in the face, basically. And Mm -hmm. so it puts life into perspective then. Absolutely. It's definitely changed my life. (sighs) Oh, yes, time for a deep breath. That is so amazing. And you are... Here you're now 21, I think. Just turned 21? Yeah, I'm I'm 21, yeah. With all this wisdom and life experience, it feels like. So at this point in life, looking back at that, and you're saying you were feeling then grateful that you you had your family, you had the support you had, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. feeling that you were alive. Although, did you lose your hair? You mentioned that. I did lose my hair. I lost it probably two months into my treatment, and I was completely bald. It had grown back a couple times when I was on, like, an easier dose of chemo, and it'd grow up, like, half an inch, and then it'd fall out again. But it wasn't until I started the monthly chemos that it started to grow back in, and which was really convenient and really nice because I was able to start going to school with a little buzz cut, and then throughout the couple of years that I was in junior high, it was growing back um, dramatically. And I got the stereotypical chemo curls, which mm-hmm. a lot of cancer patients find that after they have chemotherapy, their hair comes in really curly. Mm-hmm. And I most definitely had that hair type. <laughs> yes, I've heard that. And <laughs> I guess that can be kind of fun because here's a different look after not having hair. Oh, my gosh. And absolutely. I mean, before my hair fell out, it was stick straight. And even if I did try to put curls in it, it would never stay. Like the moment I went outside, it was gone. And so it was so different. And I had to relearn how to take care of my hair. It was super, 
it was such a dramatic change. <laughs> so amazing. So here, I, I was thinking about your being 21. It feels like if we think of people being wise, we might think it's in their 50s, 60s, 70s. But at 21, you have this wisdom around you. Does it feel that way? Do you still maybe find yourself looking at life differently than uh, your counterparts, uh, other of your friends or people you know around the same age? Yeah, most definitely. And actually, going back to the cancer, that actually wasn't the last time I had cancer, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, so um, going back to that, everything was fine after 2016. I missed treatment. And because of the type of cancer I had, I had to go in monthly for blood work for the next year and then the following year every two months and then the following year every three months and so on and so on. And it was supposed to be like that until I made it five years and then I would officially be cured. But in 2019, when I was a senior in high school, I was getting blood work every three months and things were going okay. And then in January of 2019, my platelets had dropped a little bit, which for those those people who don't know what platelets are, it's the blood cells that clot your blood. And they had always been perfect since I had finished treatment. And so they had dropped. My doctor wasn't really worried. He's like, okay, go to get it checked in another month. Like, I'm not worried, but, you know, just for your own peace of mind. And then, so the following month, I got blood work. And things are still a little funky, but my platelets had gone up a little, but they were still considered on the low side. But he was like, okay, how about you get blood work in another month? You know, just for fun. And I was like, okay, fine. So I got blood work and things again were very wacky. But again, in the following months, I was going to have my regular three month appointment where I actually talked to the doctor instead of just getting blood work and seeing the numbers. And that next month was May of 2019. And when I went in, they did my blood work, and I was talking to the doctors and just having a fun time. Because I loved going back into the clinic because it was like going back with my second family. I mean, they had been with me for so much of, like, my adolescence, and I just appreciated them so much. So I was going in, you know, chatting with everyone, catching up, telling them how I would gotten into the University of Washington for the fall. I was super excited about that, telling them, that I was about to have prom in a few weeks. I was going to graduate in about a month. It was just such an incredible time. And I was so excited to share that with my team because they've seen me grow up. But I noticed my blood work was taking quite a bit, like quite a bit longer than usual. That's when my doctor came in and she sat down and she was like, Hannah, your blood work is incredibly off. All of your numbers have tanked and we believe that you've relapsed. And I was sitting with my mom when we heard that news and my mom started crying intensely, but I started laughing hysterically. Um, Cause I knew something was up, but I never thought my worst fear would come true. It was truly shocking. I really thought maybe something else was going on, but no, it was cancer. And so the next day, um, we had to confirm what it was. So I did a biopsy. And later that day, I found out it wasn't a relapse, um, but in fact, a secondary cancer as a side effect from 
my chemotherapy called secondary acute myeloid leukemia, which was big news. Um, so it's kind of a step up from acute lymphoblastic leukemia, but even a step up above acute myeloid leukemia um, because it's secondary, which I've learned quite a bit about over the past two years <laughs> because of that. But at that time, I the next day I had to start changing my life and telling everyone the news, um, which is crazy. I guess something I didn't talk about when I was in high school, I did a program called Running Start where I took college classes mm -hmm. in at the community college near my high school. And so I was all, all set to get my associate's degree as well as my high school diploma. And after I got the news on that Thursday, I went to school on Friday and I told all of my teachers and had to tell them, you know, I'm no longer going to be in your class. I'm going to have to drop out and so on. I told all of my friends in that class and girls that I'd planned on rooming with the following year at UW that all plans had to be changed. And yeah, I just had to go about kind of stopping everything in my tracks and, and going through treatment once again. And going through treatment once again. And, and I guess not unfortunately, Marybridge is a much smaller children's hospital than like Seattle Children's Hospital. And they don't deal with like a high risk leukemia, which is what I had, as I had come to learn. Secondary acute myeloleukemia, I was told, is found in much older adults, let's say like older than like 60. And, and of course, I was an 18-year-old girl, which was not common at all, at all. And also, it happens in, like, less than 1% chance of patients who receive the type of chemo. Like, they knew the exact chemo that had caused this cancer. And out of all the people that this chemo goes to, less than 1% of those patients get this secondary cancer. And so, once again, I was the rarity. And it wasn't as much of a thing to laugh about anymore, but um, it was something to kind of be like, oh, well, here we go again. And I had to get transferred up to Seattle Children's Hospital to their high-risk leukemia team immediately, which was the following week. And I, I won't ever forget that first, I like to call it the roundtable meeting at Seattle Children's because I was with the high-risk leukemia doctor, multiple of them, social work, I was with the nutritionist. And they knew that I was going to have to get a bone or a transplant. So the transplant doctors are there. It was just a table full of doctors and me and my mom and dad and a family friend who was just being there with us. And at that roundtable meeting, I knew that I wanted to be the person to ask what my chances were. Because as I said earlier, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is my previous cancer, is very treatable and it has a higher than 95% chance of success. And so 95% chance of living. So there was only a 5% chance of me dying. And so when I was sitting at that roundtable meeting, after finding out about the secondary cancer, I asked them, what are my chances? And they told me I had a 30% chance of living. Mm -hmm. And I stood up and I walked out of the room um, right in the middle of the meeting. But our family friend came out and comforted me because even though I was kind of facing death with my first cancer, I had never in a million years thought that I was going to die from it. I was so positive. My doctor even told me, I expect you have a full recovery after this. And so 
really for the first time in my life, I understood and realized that there was a like a highly likely chance that I was about to, that I was going to die. So yeah, that that was a that was a crazy thing too. And that was that now is. three yeah. years ago. Yeah, that was three years ago, and here I am today. Yes. Um, a lot of stuff happened in between this time. Um, a roller coaster, to say the least. Um, like I said, they wanted me to have a bone marrow transplant because it was going to be my only hope of a cure or hope of beating the cancer. And so they worked with so my doctors at the high risk leukemia clinic worked with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance as well as Fred Hutch um, to come up with a plan and to come up with how they were going to first bring the cancer cells down to a percentage that would be that would allow me to go to on to transplant um, because if you go on to the transplant with leukemia in your body it makes the chances much more likely that the transplant will fail and the cancer will come back and so they wanted to get that down to zero they wanted to get all of the cancer cells out but that was the hardest part about my cancer was getting it away um, and as they found in all the older 60s to 70 year old people they just didn't have a plan. They didn't have enough patience to research, you know, what worked to get rid of this cancer. And so they winged it. <laughs> I wouldn't say winged it, but uh, I partly winged it. They took things as they went, and my doctors came up with the best plan they could. And the plan was to do a round of chemo with this brand new chemo that had only been out of, out of the FDA for like two years, and it was shown positive results and positive outcomes in secondary acute mild leukemia patients. And so I received that chemo for the first round. I was inpatient for about six weeks at Seattle Children's. And at least that's what they were planning on doing. They were planning on doing that chemo, and I would be in the hospital for about four to six weeks. And then they were going to plan another round of chemo with actually some chemotherapies I had had prior, as well as an additional one that was newer and worked with SAML. But then I asked them, like, okay, well, what if the cancer doesn't get low enough by that second round? You know, like, what if it's still above 5% minimum? What are you going to do? And they said, you know, you could try a third round or you could go on a transplant, but at that point, it would probably not be worth it. And so I knew it then. I'm like, okay, the cancer has to go down by two rounds of chemo or else done. Like, I will die. I will, like, I would have to make plans. That was the most terrifying part during my round of chemo because I entered the hospital late May. I started chemo right away and I was in the hospital for six weeks and I didn't know that entire time what my cancer was. I only knew what it was at the beginning, which was, I want to say it was around like 30% of my bone marrow was cancer cells. When I had been originally diagnosed, which was only two weeks prior, or when I was diagnosed at Marriott Bridge, those numbers were actually at like 20 something percent. And in those two weeks, you know, I was talking to every doctor, Seattle children, and I wanted to preserve my eggs mm-hmm. because I, I really, really w- wanted to have kids in the future. And thankfully my treatment from my ALL leukemia was it's a mild sort of type of chemo where it wouldn't destroy my ovaries. And so I had fully functional ovaries and I had eggs, you know, that I could put away, but after, 
my transplant and after the two rounds of chemo, they knew there would be no chance. So I really wanted to get my eggs taken out. I was planning on it and kind of the day before I was going to start talking to the fertility doctor, my oncologist called me telling me that my last bone marrow had shown progression and that I needed to decide whether to wait a month, put off treatment for a month while I get my eggs retrieved or start treatment right away, like the following weekend. And I still don't know today how I made this decision so fast because now I'm like, I don't know, I would want to ask for like a day to think about it. But it was that phone call, that same moment that I said, no, I want to start treatment right away because I knew that putting it off could do more harm than good. But yeah, so I started chemo. I did that round of chemo with the brand new chemotherapy from the FDA. And I spent about six weeks inpatient. And then I was going to have like two weeks off between my rounds of chemo. I feel that Hannah's story is an important one. And there is more that she has shared. So please tune in next Sunday to hear more of Hannah Safely's story. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Hannah Safely and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Monica Vermani. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of looking below the surface. Begin or continue the journey of learning more about who we are and why we are here. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.